so you could just lock me up. Nah. Just bury me in the ocean with my ancestors that jumped from the ships. Because they knew death was better than bondage. Where our mission statement is connecting young adults to freedom in Christ through actively building relationships. I'm your host, JP, and since this happens to be our first podcast, let me explain to you how this works. This podcast is a Bible study lesson in the form of a discussion. At the top of the show, you heard a quote from the Black Panther. Spoiler alert, uh, when Killmonger dies. So I asked our guest why we were using this quote. Let me have them introduce themselves, and then we'll jump into the discussion. Hello, um, I am Neil Waterhouse. Hi, everybody. My name is Janisha Bessiaki. Hey, everybody. My name is Mark Bessiaki. Hi, my name is Marguerite. Every week, we will have a teacher who will help me facilitate the discussion on this podcast. And this week, our teacher is Milton Keats. Shout outs to Killmonger because Killmonger is the best villain uh, in Marvel. Like, facts. Just, just straight up best villain. Uh, Super I'm, facts. Secondly, uh, shout out to Killmonger again because <laughs> 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 because he use because he uses uh, he gives us a lot of history and it gives us a lot of attention mm-hmm. towards our history and and in fact his plight is something that is very much so not villainous but uh, something that could be viewed as uh, admirable. Uh, The the main thing is, you know, the realization that you're going to be locked in bondage and you're not going to be locked, and you don't know what duration of time in which you're going to be locked in that bondage. You don't know what's going to happen when you're locked in bondage. And and the fact that you're not going to be free and not have any sense of freedom is, is completely debilitating. And, and and you've got to live any duration of time. It doesn't matter what, what duration of time, but you have to live that, that time knowing that you might not be free. I'd rather be dead. Because humans inherently, you know, you can't just lock us up and just think that's okay. You know, that's never, it, it's never, we're never going to heal. We're never, something in us is going to like change after being held in bondage for so long or in any period of time. I mean, just think about it, like, let you be locked in jail for a year and see if that doesn't change your whole mindset. But I think what's really interesting about the history of black folks is that in bondage, we're able to create such beauty from being in that bondage. Mm -hmm. So I think you kind of get to a philosophical question like, if you are able to create dignity and joy and laughter and family, right, is it better to forsake all of those things because it's going to be created in a state of bondage? And so then my question becomes, the diff- in framing it around 
Bible study, right? The difference between a physical bondage or a physical freedom and a spiritual bondage or a spiritual freedom. And how do we, to be in physical bondage does not mean that you are also in spiritual bondage. And that sort of answers what you were saying, Nia, about you can still create love, you can still create family, you can still create joy and be in physical bondage, um, but be, be spiritually and psychologically free. And I really like that because the inverse is also true. You can be physically free mm-hmm. and spiritually in bondage. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's something that we need to remember. Um, I was going to also say I, I agree with Nia that you can be um, you can be locked up and we can still have a sense of freedom or you can be um, you can create these things or we can create beautiful um, things out of what we've been through but Mm -hmm. I think the most bondage that a human can be in is mental bondage because I feel like you're stuck in all aspects, if you're if you're not liberated in your mind, mm-hmm. and I think um, even to that point, Kelmonger was in that mental bondage. Mm-hmm. I mean, all his life mm-hmm. he was he grew up only seeing one thing, which is death, and and seeing the people around him, the people of his same color, be in in oppressive situations, and so he doesn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. He sees only despair. So that makes sense if you're, if if that's all you see when mm-hmm. you hear bondage, you don't hear a happy ending. You you just see more more despair. So it's like I'd rather be gone than just mm-hmm. because he has. The, it's not like he had to die. You know, mm-hmm. he could have easily said okay and then been healed, but instead mm-hmm. he goes back to what he's normally. Even though he's gotten a glimpse of what he wants, he's what still was familiar to him. Yeah, what was familiar to him was just back in that warlike mentality and so it's like so it's it's just really telling to to that that quote to how his mindset is so sort of i mean basically what you're saying is going back to where he belongs which is where he's from like he he might not have known where he was from to start i mean he did know where he was from but he'd never been there Mm. so sort of going back to where he his his heart resides Mm sort of allowed him to be free mm-hmm. from the things that were chaining him mentally. Mm-hmm. And also his roots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's like what I'm trying to say. Where his heart resides, but you got to understand why. His father had instilled Wakanda into him. That's how he got in. Remember, when he shows up with Claw. He opens his lip up and he has an ID. Wakandans have that ID. So he had something already in him from jump that his father instilled in him. So, And I, I think kind of what JP was hinting at, the idea that the place where he that he was so attached to the place where, as you said, where his heart was, where his roots are. um, That's where his, his ultimate joy would have been Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for it. If it had not been for that bondage, right. That 
in coming back. Yeah. In coming back to his self. Yeah. That is where his ultimate freedom and ultimate joy was, right? And if we relate this to Bible study, um, I definitely believe that there's such a pure divinity that lives within us that we get to be a part of. And when we start focusing on that, when we come back to that, when we center ourselves around that, we can experience so much joy and so much love and so much peace, right? Coming back to our very self, like coming back to our own very center. Let me pause right here so I can break down this discussion on bondage and I can explain what our series is. For the next eight weeks, we're going to be doing a series called Dying to Live, where our premise is that in order to live, we have to die to our flesh. So when discussing bondage, ask yourself, what's chaining you off from being in freedom with Christ? Bondage is defined as a state of being a slave. So what are you a slave to? And what do you need to die to in order to live in Christ? And that brings us to the next part of our discussion, which is on why do you think death is important to our faith? And, and multiple facets of our faith. What, like, are you talking about, like, physical death? So I said multiple facets of our, our um, Okay, so, huh, man. I think, okay, death is, is important because every single human being has to face it. Every single thing that, that breathes has to face it. And there is a bit of unknown when it comes to death. Like, we know we're going to die, but we have no idea what happens after death. So, you know, there's, there, as much as we'd like to say and believe, you know, you know we, 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 there is a heaven, there's a hell. And I do believe that myself. But there's no guaranteed, like, this is exactly what it looks like. This is what, you can feel it, you can touch it. There is, there is a sense of, of 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 uh unknown when it comes to death so it's like you know th- there's a there's a big sense of fear there because of that uh, because of that unknown and a lot of and and i think almost every religion has that well not every religion but most religions have that kind of afterlife thought about death and you know they they relate to death in various aspects so it's it's, it's a big one man um i like when you say fear because i feel like there's other than our physical death, I feel like there's something that we fear even more when it pertains to dying. Mm. Something that that we we know we can do, but we just don't. Right, and I think that that's the thing that separates Christianity from other kinds of religion is that there's that there is a particular kind of focus on the eternal life of your soul right yeah like that's the whole thing (laughs) right is um that when when christians find salvation in jesus through jesus christ that their soul can surpass their physical death you know we look at jesus as he is the savior of the religion because he surpassed physical death right like all of the, the the christianities in a very specific way has a strong um, attunement to the problem of death and what to do about it. And I think to a fault. Yeah, 
I think we're too fo- we're focused more on death than Jesus was. And I still believe Jesus was born to die. It's not mm-hmm. that I don't believe that was his purpose, but it's like I'm on a podcast right now. I'm doing seven things at once. Mm-hmm. If you say I'm just the audio guy right now, you're missing half my purpose. So to say Jesus this was born to die, you're really missing half of his, because really he could have been killed by Harry as an infant and got it right there if we dealt with it. You feel me? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, Jay, you told me, um, gosh darn it, I can't think of it. It was Matthew Stevenson uh, said something about um, Shout out to Matthew Stevenson. Love him. <laughs> Matthew up. Stevenson said uh, something about how. Okay, I'm gonna butcher this. Okay, so it's something about how uh, uh, Jesus conquered death and sin in three days, and out of all of his ministry, it took three years to get everybody to focus on the Father and the kingdom and get them close to the God. He took three days to to defeat sin. Took three years to get everybody closer to to closer to God. It took thirty three years. Thirty three years. There it is. That's the shoot. Well, shoot. That's longer. (laughs) (laughs) That's way longer. Like thirty three. Yeah, but I'm just like, yeah, like like that. That's a really interesting point to just make that the death isn't. um, That this really isn't all that, but we make it all that because. I feel like we have a sense of fear. Milton is going to give us some scriptural background on why we're so concerned with death. We wonder a lot why Christians or Christianity seem so obsessed with this death thing. What Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Wages meaning payment or punishment. So sin is punished by death. Sin causes death. Even in the Garden of Eden, God said, If you sin by eating that fruit, you shall surely die. Thankfully, God didn't just kill everyone. He instituted animal sacrifices. Basically, the priest would every year sacrifice their prized bulls and put the blood on the altar instead of the people all dying for the sins they committed the animal would die. Listen to what Leviticus 17, 11 says. For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. 
it is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. So God says, I've given you blood as a way to make things right with me. Since sin causes death instead of you dying, if you shed animal blood, I will forgive your sins. Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Blood was the vehicle for forgiveness of sin. So Christianity isn't necessarily a bloody religion. Rather, it's about life. It's about using blood to restore us back to life. And that's why when we get to Jesus, his blood was shed for us to eternally restore us back to life. Death is important to our walk and faith as Christians, but to truly understand how important death is, we first have to understand the story of Jesus Christ. We did this by looking at Luke 24, 13-34, New Living Translation. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that had happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. 
Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, Stay the night with us, since it is getting late. So he went home with them as they sat down to eat. He took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem, where they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. It's kind of funny how the people who were closest to Jesus didn't really understand who he was or what his mission was on earth. In the next part of the discussion, we asked the guest, who do they think Jesus is? And as you're listening, I want you to think the same. What were your preconceived notions? Did you think Jesus was a teacher? Did you think Jesus was a rebel? Let's listen to the discussion. I think um, what's really beautiful about the Bible is that the characters that are used are most oftentimes what are viewed to be kind of the least of these. The people who are just regular, degular, you know, Joe Schmoes, people who have um, disabilities, people who are downtrodden, people who are hated, um, people who have past that they feel like they cannot um, repent from. And all of these characters are chosen, I think, to illustrate how we can be used and how there is such glory within us. And so in my perspective of Jesus, the whole point of Jesus being born through a woman versus just descending down in a cloud is to show that through our human bodies, we can still achieve such kind of grandiose things we can have we can perform wonderful miracles we can transform people's lives we can really be such a force when we align ourselves with the will of God with the purpose of God with the things that God has for us and I think what's often missed in Christianity is that Jesus is a particular kind of individual that no one can achieve but I feel that is the opposite, that Jesus is born in the same bodies that we are born with. He has the same physical limitations that we, are, that we have as humans to show us that we can do this thing. He is the guidebook that we can do instead of being like, oh, actually, you know, no one else can do that. So don't even try. Like you missed the point. You've missed the whole point. The point is you can do this if you follow, you know, the things that he has brought to you. I want to jump in real quick because there's a theologian that says Jesus is actually the most human. So because he did what he was intended to do as a human He's not just fully God and fully man. He's fully man. Like, we're not fully human because 
we're not connected to God like Jesus was. So we can become fully human by being like Jesus. It's almost what Nia was talking about earlier when she said God is in us. So I really like that assessment of the text. He's more human than we are. Now, um, to be very honest, when I'm reading this text, um, a part of me feels as if this is the part of the story where Jesus feels the most um, magical. Like, this feels very, very Disney in, in, in a way. Uh, and the reason why I say that is because, you know, he comes up and, you know, he makes them unaware of him. And then, you know, obviously, if they know who Jesus is, so the first glimpse they get of him, they have God has to stop them from knowing who he is. And then when he finally breaks bread and talks to them, he disappears. And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, Jesus did it. You know what I'm saying? Like, in, in, in his other miracles, it was very... Intentional, very healing. This was one where it's just okay. I've, I've, sir, I'm, you know, you can't see me now. I'm fully God, but I can just go do. Because even after, you know, he talks to all the disciples, the next thing he does, he ascends to, to the sky, and it was like, oh yeah, okay. I mean, and even yeah. the whole time he's walking with them, they're like, uh, you haven't heard what happened. He's like, oh, oh no, what do, you, what do you mean? Yeah. Right? You know what I'm no yeah. clue. But I think it's also, it's also, I think when it comes to. Um, because what I heard in I, I've heard in what your question was, what I heard was what label do we put him under? Yes. And I yep. think um it's it's I I want to in a sense discount the label, but then sometimes I'm like I don't because I feel like he's all of he encompasses all of them. You know, in that moment he encompassed being and that moment he encompassed being God by, you know, showing his power. But then at the same time, he encompassed being a teacher by teaching them literally from the from the Torah. And then uh, at some point he showed them that he was a priest by preaching to them as as they're as they're talking. So and then at the end, being God by just poof and disappearing. So it's like, you know, it's it's all of that in and in, in it's multifaceted in, in, in that. But I think the 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 label of uh the label of which one is he at that moment is kind of, uh, it's uh, restrictive. And it, it puts him into a box that he doesn't really need to be in. Uh, and, and it should be all encompassing instead of just one set thing. Because he, he, he flexes all kinds of muscles here. I think, he, it, I think it is multifaceted um, because... Um, I was having a conversation with my friend and we were talking about like, why do we just label God just as a, a male figure? Why is he just labeled as that? As if he don't have all the, um, he, it, as if he doesn't have everything that a woman gives. He don't have everything that a man gives. He's not just Lord and commands orders, but he's a friend. He's not just a friend, but he's a teacher. He's not just a teacher, but he's a savior. He's not just a savior, but he's a healer. You know what I'm saying? And it's like in our everyday lives, whether if we are experiencing death in a family member, whether if we're experiencing heartbreak, it's like, God is present in those moments and we have to see who he is 
in that in that moment and he may not be the same as he was last week and i think it also though i think your question about where does it come from that we refer to god as a he i think the answer is uh, you know our patriarchal society and i think in order to work against that we have to be intentional in our speech right so if we refer to god only as he as his, as the pronoun then there's always going to be a image that he that god is a he mm-hmm. but if you refer to god as god yeah right if you stop saying he if you just re- if you change your language yeah. then you can now start having a more inclusive conversation conversation and even uh, that sorry that that just goes to the original question right about like what label do we put on god I think that replacing the language of instead of using himself, we say God self or or even something as simple as that. Right. Like that gets at how expansive we understand God to be in a general sense. Right. Like that God is universal and that any label he, she, teacher, leader, leader, like is insufficient. Think about it. Jesus was quoting scripture. He was healing the sick. He raised the dead, right? He taught in the synagogues. And yet they limited him to their type of a Messiah. The Messianic prophecies cover a wide range of assortment of Things that the Messiah would do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Heal, set free, deliver, preach. But they limited him to this one thing. And it's crazy to me. But I want you to think about this. Can we add the title of rebel to Jesus' name? And as you answer this, Think about what you think and what we're taught. Uh, For sure. (laughs) (laughs) But are we taught that? No. I I mean, I think a little bit we are, right? Because it's... (sighs) There is a, the the way it is presented is there are these Pharisees and Jesus teaches us we don't really need to be living by the letter of the law, but we need to live by the spirit of the law. There is that messaging that comes through, but then it's also a, you know, Jesus is the upholder of the things that we tell you to do. Jesus told us to do them and now we have to do it. And the whole idea that Jesus is instigating with the spirit of truth, right? That he is usurping the order of religiosity, right? Of religious construction in the society. I think if you teach that, you are inciting um, disorder. Essentially. <laughs> and the no, church no, no. has to 
keep order, that means that just as the Pharisees did, they also have to say, this is the law. You have to follow it. This is what's right. If you don't do that, you're out of what God tells you, right? And and this is why we also have to follow that leadership of Jesus, where he is going and saying, actually, no, actually, you're false. Actually, you're using this to, you know, make us be in line with what you think is the how we should behave. Actually, we're turning over tables yeah. because this is inappropriate, yeah. right? And that, that 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 is our responsibilities as the followers to uphold the the spirit of the teachings and not just kind of let the church dictate how our spirituality and our Christianity looks. To, to answer both questions, number one, I think, yes, he, we, we always teach him as a rebel or as a, um, uh, a protagonist, but the antagonist is usually the world. What he's rebelling against is the world or Satan or sin or, you know, something that is uh, the epitome of evil. And so we don't necessarily view him as a rebel of ourselves. So, he's, so you know, when we look at the Bible, we obviously see that he's going against religious leaders. And if we, and like Nia said, if we, if we talk, if we teach that, we, in, we, in, we almost make people look at us in a in a different light and cause again discord inside of our own church because who wants to say hey uh jesus was against us yeah. <laughs> and then like people like not 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 be affected by this the other thing i was going to say was the whole separation of who jesus is there are whole separations of denominations and even religions because of what they want to label him as what and, they want to pick and 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 that's 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 the thing, you know. If we are truly Christians, we're talking about being, we're talking about encompassing everything that comes with Christ. You know, that is the rebel part. That is the social justice. That is the teacher, the priest, the 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 compassionate person, the one who's who's all about peace, the ones who's all about justice. Like all all of it is is in there. Not just one, but it's just what we've been very good at is specializing in one thing and you know it, it sounds a lot prettier you can tie you can tie it up in a fancy bow and, and package it to people well enough and they'll digest it leave home feeling good and then not do anything with their lives but when you give them everything then they have to think and then they have to they have to critically think about where the situation that they're in even in the church that they're in there's not too many churches that i know where if i walked in and the te- and the teacher would tell me leave like hey if we're on the wrong thing leave like if flip tables i want you to flip tables in this place if we're if we're on the wrong stuff you know like like there's not too many places where i see that kind of thing happening where where even the church is saying you can check us mm-hmm. like uh, yeah, and I, just, I, I just wanted to say I don't, I don't think i think the reason why it seems like we we don't teach jesus as a rebel is not because we don't teach him as a rebel we just don't teach it in context so we we might teach that oh he fought against these religious leaders and we he fought against mm. this Roman system, but we don't we don't put that in context of that system or those teachers are exactly like us, mm. and we sort of separate them from who we are. Then it more it doesn't see it doesn't attach the the whole rebel aspect to who Jesus is. My brain sort of to go back to the question about. Do, when we do we call Jesus the rebel and are we taught that I don't think that we are um, and maybe it gets to your point JP about the context and maybe it gets to your point Mark about 
the way that we frame it as this sort of larger vacuous problem of Jesus versus sin. But I don't think that we are taught that there are systems in place, there are institutions in place and, that try to mandate the way that the world works and Jesus upended them. I don't think, like, the fact that Jesus was killed for being a political rebel, specifically, (laughs) and that crucifixion was a punishment handed to a political uh, offendants, like, that's not something that that I personally was taught until I was already an adult. Um, And so... The way that we, the way that we frame what rebellion looks like, like, what if we were taught in church that going to a Black Lives Matter protest was like your obligation as a follower of Jesus, wow. right? Like, wow. the way that we are taught what rebellion looks like, I don't think is sufficient to the legacy of Jesus. And I think even if you look at the legacy of the Black Church, I think. Uh, there's been a legacy of social justice that's already, that's always existed in the black church because in in its very forming it it had to come out of actually we cannot go to these white churches. <laughs> Actually, we're not even oh. allowed to pray on the altar. I know the Amy Church was founded by Richard Allen. Literally, like they they, they kicked why. him out of the that's church. Why. And so your the mission of social justice, I think, is reframed, right? And you can have Jesus centered around that when you have a legacy of disenfranchisement. I know during the civil rights movement in the religious kind of society, there was a conversation happening between like who, what God do you serve that allows you to be tra- that allows you to treat me like this? Yeah. Like yeah. these are the black churches talking to the white pastors. Like what are you doing yeah. about the way God's people are being? Being treated, and yeah. what does Jesus say? You have a responsibility to do about that, because if God says that you don't have any responsibility about that, and actually that you can be complicit in the degradation of these people, oh, actually yeah. that God is not a God I want to be associated with at all. Preach, right? So right. I think that kind of prophetic witness is has gotten lost mm. in this modern day. Right. Let, let me tie this back. To our buddy Killmonger, okay? Because I, I, here's my claim. We're just like the people on this road. We want Jesus to be what we want Jesus to be. And the sisters that Marguerite was talking about has co opted Jesus to be what they want him to be. So the reason we hear about a passive white Jesus is because Jesus has been kidnapped and crucified. The the Bible says we crucify Christ afresh. He's been crucified over again because they're using him as a tool for their empire. Mm-hmm. So we're fighting like Jesus to empires. Mm-hmm. So we're fighting the empire of imperialism or exceptionalism or patriarchy or whatever you want to call it. But at the root of Every empire is the same seed. It's sin. At the root of Roman Empire was the sin of oppression. 
the sin, racism is a sin. So I believe Jesus died because he was not just conquering sin. He was embarrassing Rome. Because the second punch, the haymaker, was the cross. It was the only thing they had left they could do for him. And he got up in three days like he took a nap. Like, what's up? That's all you got, for real? So, so the claim is, the reason we're in this quote is, death is not always a bad thing. And that's what Jesus, look when they found out who Jesus was, when he broke the bread, when he reminded them of the sacrifice. They had to be in their upper room on Monday, Thursday. What you just heard is the first episode in our series, Dying to Live. And if you like what you just heard, we will have an episode every Wednesday, which will be located on our app. Hopefully in the near future, we'll also be posting it on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can also find us on Facebook under Why Not. That's Why Not spelled Y-K-N-O-T. I would like to leave you with this question. If Jesus was willing to die in order to allow us to be free from bondage, are we willing to die to our flesh every day in order to accept our freedom in Christ? Once again, I am your host, JP, wishing you a good morning, a good evening, and a good night.